We are thinking this evening about this book of uh, about how we live our life in this season in a time that is uh, stressful and difficult. I don't know how you're finding it, but uh, if you're like me and like many people, you are finding this not an easy time at all. And so I thought we would have a look at this uh, book of Philippians. And we do that because the book of Philippians has is full of just uh, wonderful teaching and uh, it's teaching around a theme. And um, the theme of the book is this. The theme of the book is uh, suffering. Sure, it's got two R's, right? Is suffering got two R's? Anyway, the theme of the book is suffering. And it's suffering because it's written by the Apostle Paul towards the end of his life, and he's in jail. Uh, and he's on his way to Rome, so he's either in jail in uh, Ephesus or he's in jail in Rome. He's in isolation. Uh, he's looking back on a life that has been full of ministry, following Jesus, helping the Gentiles all around the Roman Empire come to know Jesus. But in the middle of that life, he has experienced enormous hardship and suffering. And he he's pretty sure by this stage that uh, the other side of uh, this jail experience for him will probably be death. And so he knows he's heading towards his death and he's not afraid of it and he's going to talk about it. And he knows that um, in as much as he's suffered, it's true that the Philippians, who are people that he loves, who've been partners with him in ministry, as we see in the text for many, many years, that these people are also going to suffer. And so he wants to write to encourage them to keep on going and to encourage them to keep on going in a life that will have suffering in it. And so that is what he does. He uh, writes to them to say, uh, here's how you should live in the middle of suffering. If that's the theme, um, there's one of the commentators said, well, that's the theme that the book has a particular mood. And you might think if, um, if the book is all about uh, suffering and um uh, misery, uh, then the, the, the mood is going to be very grim and down. But in fact, that's not the case at all. The, the mood of the book is in fact, uh, the mood of the book is in fact the mood of joy. And that is what we see in this text, that the, the whole of the book is not just about how do you, um, how do you suffer and get through it, but actually, how do you suffer and get through it with joy? Which is really fantastic, isn't it? That, that this, this resource we've been given from God is a resource to, uh, for this time to show us how to get through whatever these next months bring us, but to do it with joy. And, uh, and this is a two-point sermon, a two-point talk, so it's pretty straightforward. Here's what we, here are the two points I'm going to make. The points are very simple. If you want to survive and thrive uh, as, a, as, a, as a woman or a man of faith in this season, first thing you've got to do is uh, you've got to know uh, your identity. Okay? And uh, we're going to talk about that and we're going to see that. And then the second thing following from knowing our identity is that uh, we have to know um, how to live, live out, how to live out this identity. 
So let's have a think a bit about that. So know your identity, know how to live out your identity. And uh, here's, here's what it talk, here's uh, the, Paul's little intro. Let me just um, start that one again. Paul greets the Philippians and uh, look at how he addresses them. And this helps us frame and understand their identity and our identity. Uh, We'll look at that and then I'll tell you why identity is so important and what this means for us. So he starts off, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. Look at that, this little word here, servants. And you think, well, that's, um, who wants to be anyone's servant? Uh, Why does he describe himself like that? Well, actually, there's a Greek word, the the original that Paul would have written in underlying that, uh, actually has a stronger meaning than just servant. And in fact, this word can actually also be translated as slave. So uh, the Apostle Paul is saying, he and Timothy are writing to these people as slaves of Messiah. That's the word behind Christ, Messiah Jesus And that's an extraordinary way to describe yourself in the ancient world, particularly for Paul, who we know from other sources was a Roman citizen. So, and he he was, uh, which means that in the hierarchy or the the status rankings of the ancient world, uh, to be a, a Roman citizen was to be the most privileged of people in the whole Roman Empire. And then there were ranks of people below that, ending off right at the bottom with slaves. And uh, I guess in Paul, it would have actually been female slaves, would have been below male slaves. So he wasn't right at the bottom. But, but to call himself a slave when he actually was a Roman citizen is extraordinary. And so it must have, it, it's no accident. It's, it's in fact incredibly significant in Paul's self-understanding. And what does it mean? Well, a slave is somebody who has been uh, bought at a price and uh, by their slave owner, and now belongs in totality to that slave owner. They cannot say no to anything the slave owner asks of them. Okay, That's the difference between a slave and a servant, or a slave and an employee. Servants and employees can go, no, had it, I'm not doing that. Slaves can't because they are owned by their owner. And... uh, The Bible says that Jesus Christ, Messiah Jesus, is our owner, uh, and the price he has paid for us is his very own life, which is completely, uh, completely transforms our understanding of our relationship with this slave owner. This is not an oppressive slave owner who owns us for his or her own benefit. So most slave owners, you'd buy a slave, who could help you out in life and make your life easier. Instead, our slave owner dies for us in order to save us at the cost of his own life. Uh, Very far from us making Jesus' life easier, he gives his life so that we, in this relationship of belonging to him, might be uh, saved, might be spared, might have everything we're looking for in life right now. Uh. What's Paul saying? What's God saying to us? He says, if you want to survive a life of suffering, and if you want to find joy in your suffering, understand this, that you and I are first and foremost, if we are people 
who are followers of Jesus, we are first and foremost slaves of Messiah Jesus. We belong to him. Anything he asks of us, we will do and we will do it gladly. Understanding that we're slaves of Jesus recalibrates or reframes our expectations of life. Uh, we, are not, uh, we are not people who are free to do whatever we want. And nor are we people who uh, believe that life owes us anything. We, we belong to Jesus and whatever he chooses to give us, that's what we gladly receive. Now, follow the logic of this. Um, when we come to Jesus uh, we, and when we belong to him, we don't belong to a God whose primary mission in life is to make us happy and rich, self-actualized, and uh, able to just cruise through life uh, with a life of comfort and personal peace. And that wasn't the life Jesus had. The life Jesus had and the life that his servant Paul, his slave Paul had, was a life of suffering to redeem the world, dying for the good of others, particularly those who hate him. And so why should we think that as those who belong to this Jesus, who have been the beneficiaries of this life, that now we should be spared a life of suffering? I mean, we, we're saved by and worship and live with and belong to a crucified God. That's our identity. It's who we are. Uh, we are not defined by uh, our relationship with money or sex or power or love or approval or status. Because if you base your identity on those things, as this virus, as this pandemic has shown us, um, we will find uh, a path to great misery, yeah, if you based your life, your joy, your identity on your career, uh, you may discover that you know some person eating a live bat in a wet market in China can be the end of your career. Just like that, bang. And then where's your life? Where's your meaning? Where's your joy? It can be the end if, if your identity and, and sense of self is based on consumption, on that thrill of buying things and products and branded things. You suddenly discover again a pandemic suddenly shuts all that off. It's no fun just shopping online and maybe you can't even afford it now. All the things, and if, if, you, if, your, if your identity has been based on relationships and being in the group and being popular, well, now you're just relating to people in front of a screen and it's much, much, much harder to, do, to, to find your identity in people. Um, it's just gone like that. And, and if your identity is in your family which isn't a bad thing, but, but listen, this virus has shown us, hasn't it, how unbelievably fragile our hold on life is. Listen, all our family members are going to die, including you, uh, hopefully not of this virus. But you, we're, So understanding our identity, and our identity is that we're slaves of Jesus Christ, and, and we're not just slaves. We're, and, of course, you might think now, oh, well, that applies to... You might think this. Well, that applies to Paul and Timothy. I'm not a slave. That's all going a bit far. But he doesn't let us off the hook because he says the same thing in a roundabout way. In the very next clause, he says, to all gods are holy people. Now, holy people, another way of calling this, this is to all gods saints. And, uh, and saints are not about um, just being a particular holy person. They're not just about... Um, a uh, uh, you know, like the Mother Teresa of Darling Street. Uh, it's not that. That's not what's on view. What's on view, uh, the concept behind saint, again, is extraordinarily tight, 
belonging to God. A, a holy person, which is the other sort of root word behind saint, our holiness means you, you belong to God. You're his treasured possession. Uh, and it's really telling the story of our identity and belonging, not from us being slaves, but from God's place that we're his. So we're slaves from our point of view, and we're God's treasured possession. We're his saints. We're his belonging from his point of view. And he applies that to all of us. So here's the thing, right? Uh, we're slaves and we're saints. And you need to understand that. And I need to understand that, that, that I'm God's first and foremost, and that I'm his slave, and that I then find the resources to go through the season of suffering and whatever it might bring, and to go through it with joy, because uh, I'm God's. Now, um, you might say, well, how do I know I'm going to survive this suffering? (laughs) And, I, and maybe you might say, life's been really easy for me as a, as, a, as a person of faith up to this point. But I don't know that I'm going to get through. Like, and Paul, I think, I know, would have had these thoughts. And the New Testament has these thoughts. How do, we, how do we persevere with our faith, with joy, in the middle of suffering and hardship? Well, look at this. This is, this is where Paul's joy comes from when he looks at the Philippians. He says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Why? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And he's confident of this, right? And this is something that we can be confident of about ourselves as well. Being confident of this, uh, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. What's he saying? He's saying, your identity as a slave of Jesus Christ, as a saint, as someone who belongs to God, this is something that God has given you. He's, he started that work in you. He rescued you and made you his own. He has his hands around you. And the great confidence that you and I can have is that no matter what suffering comes our way, no matter what hardship, no matter what sin, no matter what challenges, That God is at work in us and he's going to keep on doing that until the day of Christ Jesus, which is another way of saying until either you die and go to be with Jesus or Jesus returns and renews all of creation and finally wraps everything up. And God will do this work in you. Isn't that great? So you're a slave, you're a saint means you can suffer with joy no matter what comes your way, confident that God is going to keep you as his saint, keep you as his slave, and keep you close to him right through to the end. And you go, okay, well, I, I get that, Mark. So, um, so I'm, I'm a saint, I'm a slave. Uh, but, but, but actually that doesn't always make it that much, that easy to live in this world, does it? Like, there are lots and lots and lots and lots of challenges to the life of faith, aren't there? And hardship and suffering throws those up greatly. And so what Paul then goes to do is he goes to help us, gives us a bit of a, a big picture view at what it will take for you and for me to actually flourish and live well in this world and look at what he says uh, in verse 9. He, uh, he says this. He prays for the Philippians. He's, he's established who they are. And now he prays for them. 
and uh, and this is his prayer, and it's a it's a it's a wonderful prayer that sets out for us um, like a vision of the Christian life, no less. This is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. Okay, so let's have a look. It starts off. He says that you've, you he prays for our love, for us to have love, and you go, "Your beauty." We all know that we need to have love. They say, "Well." What kind of love do we need to have? Well, um, we need love that abounds. We need love that abounds in what? Well, in more intensity of desire or feelings. Like, is that what we really need? Are we, um, are we romantics in the, in the philosophical sense that says ultimate reality is about our, our feelings and the intensity of our feelings and this is where our life is to be found? Well, well feelings are are important but look what he says the love that we need to survive and thrive in a life of suffering with joy is a life that abounds more and more in what we need abounding love more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so this is it right we have love That abounds in knowledge and insight. Uh, this, I love this. I love it because sometimes we can think that, well, being a follower of Jesus entails taking your brain out of gear, right? You just let go and let God. You faith is just a blind leap into the dark and, uh, and you can't really use your brains. But actually, um, the Bible's view is that the, the gospel itself, the, the fundamental calling of humanity, entails uh, a journey of um, great moral and philosophical and psychological deliberation. We need to know how the world works. You see, the the, the love that we're to, that is that we're to have, if you if you know your Bible, is very simple. It's love for God and love for the other, love for your neighbor, love for your enemy. So love God, love other people. That is uh, love in the way of Jesus. We'll see what that means in Philippians two. But what that looks like is not always easy to know. So then, the whole of the Christian life is to say, Lord. Uh, let me abound, let my love, my the, the affections that I have, my fundamental orientation to love God and love others, may this be full of and abounding in knowledge and depth of insight. Why? Because there's a lot of ways I can live in the world and what I want to do is to be able to discern what is best. So I want discernment so about what is best. So knowledge and insight means I can know the best isn't it fascinating how this works? I can know the best. And, I, and, and then look what's interesting. is not just that I can discern what's the best. I'm not a, the Christian life is not the life of an armchair philosopher, as fun as that is. And I love a good bit of moral philosophy and thinking about life. But it's not just, well, I can, I can look at the life and I can think about all the different options and then I can think some more, which is great. He says, no, no, the goal is that I can love my love can abound so that I can know, but then knowing has to result in doing, which is to be pure and blameless. 
It actually results in doing and in being a particular sort of person, right? I'm pure and blameless. I'm filled, and then it says, when I do all of this, I'm going to be filled with the fruit of righteousness. And you go, well, what's the fruit of righteousness? Another way of saying that is just to be uh, utterly Christ-like, to have the character, the capacity, the ability to live and to be exactly like uh, our slave owner, Jesus. Okay, so and it comes from Jesus Christ Himself. He He lives. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The Apostle Paul will say, and so we're filled with this fruit of righteousness, this Christ-like character, and we're as a result we're pure and we're blameless. We do what is right. Our lives have a certain moral character. In a world of suffering, where there are all kinds of difficulties, all kinds of temptations. You know, there are temptations of affluence and peace, aren't there? We've probably all given in to them over the last 25 years of uninterrupted economic growth. We've all got richer. Uh, we've all indulged our various appetites uh, as we've been enabled to do by our wealth. Um, maybe now we face a season of suffering, and suffering brings particular challenges and temptations, uncertainties, fears, opportunities to compromise to take shortcuts. And God says to me tonight, and I hope he's saying it to you, he says, Mark, Mark, you're my slave. You're my treasured possession. You're my saint. And I want to fill, I want to fill you with knowledge and insight and wisdom so that your love for me lasts and is strong and is wise and insightful so that you can do what's best and so that through this you'll be pure and blameless. God's saying to me tonight, Mark, don't just because life is hard at the moment, don't, don't cut yourself some moral slack. Don't grant yourself what the psychologists call moral license. You know what moral license is? Moral license is... Um, uh, I go to the gym, so I go, man, I've done this really good thing, so I reward myself by eating a donut on the way home. And, and you go, well, I've done this good thing, so therefore it's okay to do this other dumb thing, right? Um, that's moral license. When you, and, and actually what it is is it's you take two things that actually aren't intrinsically connected and allow yourself, let yourself off the hook because you in one area because you've done something good in another area. Um, the particular temptation of suffering and hardship and faith is moral license. We go, ah, oh, I'm suffering here and it's hard here. So I'll compromise over here. And God says, no, don't do that. That's not the way of love. That's not the best way. We're to be pure and blameless even, 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 hang on a moment, even in chains. Look at this. Paul doesn't write this as an armchair philosopher. I am in chains, he says. He could say, well, you know, I'll just do whatever now. I'm in chains for Jesus, so that gives me the right to be angry or bitter or to be a gossip or to be greedy or to be full of lust, whatever it might be. And he doesn't do that. He says, no, 
pure and blameless. Pure and blameless because I'm a slave of Christ. I'm a saint who belongs to God. So, friends, that's it. If you want to know how to be full of joy in a faithful life of suffering, then this is the book for you. This is the God for you. Uh, and uh, it's not going to be easy the, the weeks and months ahead. And this text, when we unpack it, this letter is doesn't pretend that the Christian life is easy, but gosh, it invites us on this extraordinary journey of joy in the middle of it all, through it all, with Jesus, in the power of the Holy Spirit and, the, and in partnership with each other. That's the journey ahead of us. So why don't you join me as we pray together? Uh, Lord God, uh, we come and ask you now to um, take what we've thought about now and uh, use it to help our love for you and for others abound with knowledge and insight so that this week, Lord, we can see what's best. We can figure out in all the challenges that we'll face what's the best way to live and that in the doing of it will be pure and blameless for you, Lord. And that all this will bring you glory and praise. And we ask this in the great name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Amen.